uh, uh, presenting Joe with my friend Mars Pennell, who's also with me. Oh. And uh, today we're, di- we're, we're, we're obviously D-Trout Spinners. That's obvious, you know. But we're actually doing a special show today. We did a special show last week. We interviewed Luke Campbell. Special one today, we're interviewing Nigel Williams, who was the editor of The Office, and Alan Partridge staff. Some, yeah a lot of he's he's edited a lot of things basically and you will probably know him most famously for being taped to a chair by Ricky Gervais <laughs> literally taped the whole body his whole body taped to a chair uh, which is a video doing the rounds on YouTube so um that's who we're interviewing today Mars your thoughts on on the interview well I should say in our correspondence with Nigel who's been so nice he also said I'll only do the interview if you have a beer with me so we did, yeah. <laughs> Usually we hide our drink when we're interviewing someone. <laughs> we, we put it in like a teacup or something, you know. Miles puts his cider in a, I know. a little <laughs> So, so I'm, I'm not drinking out of um, uh, porcelain today. I'm drinking out of glass. No, same here. So, yeah, cheers. Cheers, everyone. This is going to be quite... We'll do a cheers tonight. And if there's that. any technical glitches or if a, if a swear word slips out, I know we don't, we, we swear quite a lot anyway. We swear, God, I've been listening back to our, our old tapes for that competition. I've got to stop swearing. Yeah, you swear <laughs> a lot. We don't swear too much. But then I don't think any kids are going to listen to this, are they? Look, shut the fuck up and let's get on with it. <laughs> okay. um, so started, I thought it would be quite nice to just get, go over some, some correspondence. So this is from Jack Bromfield. So he's a new listener. Welcome, Jack. Um, He says, mm-hmm. if you want to meet the real Gerald Preston, he's a regular at this pub and he names the pub, but I'm keeping it very top secret because... Oh, he doesn't get well, someone someone nicks Gerald Preston from us. Gerald, Gerald, sign this. Get their nipples out. He's a regular at this. Oh. He even showed me his copy of Wild Weather once. Does it still got the Wild Weather? How mad is that? I know Gary is into sport um, and I made this for a laugh. Maybe try a few on him. So I've come oh. up with this game show, right? It's called Prem Busters. Uh, yeah. Basically, right, you need to try and get the Premiership player from past or present from a sort of cryptic clue in that. Now I'm gonna reveal. Mars has did do one to me off air, like before, well, a few a few days ago, and I got it straight away, didn't I? But we can do that one as an example. Yeah. So one of the examples is um, and bear in mind, I don't know who any of these fellas are. No. <laughs> the Jamaican fella knows that in the War of Roses, the roses were red and dot dot dot. And the initials for that were D-Y. You didn't even give me the initials. I actually got it before you gave me the initials. All right, now you're both no, I'll just say, because no, <laughs> I knew with the War, War of the Roses, it was going to be York or, or Lancashire, someone, something like that. So I know Dwight York. I did Dwight York. So. Dwight York. White York. And do you think he played best as, as part of a front two or sort of on his own as a lone striker? Do you want the next one? Yeah. <laughs> so the next one is um big ben is in a tent of his own s c it's quite good that one um do you need a tip no 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 big, no, no, big ben is no, a... no 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 <laughs> and it's in london s c yeah what's the word for on your own if you're on your own what are you alone alone sort of but what's another word for alone uh solitary soul campbell well done oh soul campbell Yes, okay. Soul Camp Bell. Soul Camp Bell. Um, that river by the Olympic Park will cut you if you're not careful. L.S. Well, that's Thames. Uh, sharp. Yeah. Lee Sharp. Lee yeah. Sharp. Well done. He, he's a blast from the past because he hasn't been, as you know, he hasn't played for quite a long time. Oh, yeah, I've been saying that for years. Um, yeah. Get Lee Sharp back to Manchester <laughs> United. Uh, tanning Shop. R.P. That's the clue, tanning shop. Yes. Um, Short one, that. When you go to the tanning shop, what are those um, things called in the sort of coffin case, I suppose? Lights. Sort of. They are lights, but they, what are the sort of cylindrical things called? I don't know. What what does it emit? Emit UV. A UV. Ray. Oh, Ray Ray Parler. Yeah, well done. One of my faves he is. Anyway, anyway, we're that, well, I think we'll leave it there because we're yeah, going to go. Yeah, they are more. I'll post um, That's maybe, great. Yeah, thanks. What was his I'll name? I'll post um, 
Twitter the rest of those, Jack. They're really that's a fun game though. Yeah, Jack, that, that's uh, that's really good. I'm learning the names of Premiership footballers that I would almost certainly forget straight away. Lee, Lee Sharp, he's on the Lee Sharp bandwagon. <laughs> no, but um, that's they're, they're really good and actually really good clues. So nice one. Good one. If you want to send well. us your homemade rock busters and your games for us to play. Email in spinnerspodcast at gmail.com or spinnerspodcast on Twitter. But for now, Nigel. Well, today, Miles, we've got a very special guest. And I've just checked his name. His name is definitely Nigel Williams. He's um, an editor and he's edited any number of comedy shows. Alan Partridge, Outnumbered, Extras. Um, uh, but most pertinently for our podcast, The Office. And um, so we're going to just be chatting to him today about those days and his time with Ricky and Steve. So, Nigel, thanks for doing this. Uh, absolute pleasure. Nice to see you guys. Uh, first things first, when I agreed to do this, we said we were going to have a beer together. I want proof that you've got alcohol on well, the go. I, I have some wine here, as I told you. Well, I've got my Guinness. It's quite early. Oh, but... Guinness? Do you like Guinness? I hate, oh, I can't stand Guinness. I never used to, but um, yeah, I've got the taste for it over lockdown, yeah. It's the, oh. editor's choice. the editor's choice of drink is Guinness. <laughs> yeah, so we're all having a little drink and uh, a little vape as well. I'm not going to, not hiding that. <laughs> yeah, and, nice one. Uh, yeah, so Nigel, just take us back to the beginning, really. How did you end up working with Ricky on The Office? Well, it, like all these things, there was a lot of luck involved. So um, I started off um, like in 1989 or something as a runner, making tea and coffee. And I did that for like six months. And then I got to edit assist. And then I did that for about three years and then started dabbling in a bit of editing um, just doing sort of weekend stuff and I was doing wedding videos and just anything to sort of push my career forward. And then I got a few uh, breaks editing. Um, you, you've probably heard of it. It's a, it's a feature film. Um, you, you must have seen it. Uh, it's uh, way up. It's highly thought of. It's called Chubby Brown Down Under and Other Sticky Regions. Have you guys seen that? It's not, a classic. Not familiar with it but uh, I think it was on my film I think it was on my film course well Chubby Brown is a highly um <laughs> non-PC Roy, was that Roy Chubby Brown yeah, Roy, yeah. I know of him yeah and basically the movie was him <laughs> in Blackpool it's all filmed pretty much on a black curtain so it could have been anywhere and it, it did actually get a cinema release oh my so, word I know so I did he's um he's opening he bursts out of a curtain and it's basically a woman with her legs open and he bursts out of the curtain. And Mrs. Brown's uh, Boys does that now. Does, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a classic anyway, I highly recommend it. So I, so I got that film and then I did a bit of, um, I did Lee Evans as a stand-up show oh, wow. and a few other things. But it was still really early days in my career. And then one weekend, um, well, it was Ash actually, the producer of The Office. Mm. He came into the place I was working and said, we've got a little pilot. Um, it's only going to take a week, but we need someone to work over the weekend. And so uh, it was a Saturday that we started editing it. And Anil Gupta was um, the director at the time. So he did like the first pilot of The Office. And then this lanky bloke and this little chubby guy came in <laughs> at, at the end of it and um, and sort of had a look through. And they weren't that happy with the way that the pilot was because it wasn't very close to their vision really i then spent another few days just with steve and then ricky had come in at the end of it to try and get it more to the tone of what they wanted and then it went off to the bbc but you know it did it did go off to this bbc and it got commissioned but they it still wasn't really what they wanted so um eventually when it got commissioned Anil got exec producer and Steve and Ricky said we'll we'll only do the series if we get to direct it so that's that's CD Boss I guess what, yeah what I well to actually the CD Boss which was the eight minute taster tape Steve did that on his own okay. so that was like while he was doing a producer course he did that and that was kind of a rough guide and then the BBC gave us money to then make pilot that Anil directed but it was weird because it had um, voiceover of 
John Nettles, do you know him, the actor? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it had him, um, I think it exists on a DVD somewhere, but it's basically him saying, um, it's David Brent's first day at Wernham yeah. Hall, you know, that sort of thing. He arrives and it was, so it was all voiceover led and not really what Ricky and Steve uh, wanted at all. So, and I think it had a bit of music on it and stuff like that. Mm. So um, total luck that I yeah. did that. And then luckily they called me back once it got commissioned and we got to do... Um, the series wow. it's such that- a big part of it isn't it like the the mockumentary format it, it kind of makes the comedy imagine if it had like that voiceover and the music and that that sort of instructional like led telling you how to feel at certain moments like because editing must is so tied to that like were, were you working quite closely with like Ricky and Steve when you were editing the, the oh, final yeah. cut. I mean massively they, they had a huge vision for what they wanted and because I was kind of new to editing what they were asking me to do wasn't that weird because, mm. you know, we were kind of, I was a blank canvas. So when they were saying elongate this nowadays, you know, it is done a lot. But most of my approach to comedy editing now is just certainly when I'm doing my assemble edits without a director. Yeah. You know, when you're getting the rushes and they're off shooting, I just keep everything as tight as I can just to keep the pace up. In my head, it's just to keep it tight, keep it tight um, without any sort of long pauses or whatever. And then I open it if I need to, to the point where sometimes I sort of over tighten and yeah. then have to loosen it up a bit. But um, yeah. for that, for the office, it was kind of the opposite. It was all about those long, excruciating moments yeah. Yeah. That, um, that we all know. And, um, and and we use Spinal Tap. Do you know the film Spinal Tap? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Love it. So we they were big fans of that. And I love that film as well. And we use that as quite... A big reference because you know there are massive cheats even though it's a docu style mm. if you actually analyzed it there's no way that a camera could sort of get from the front door to a top shot of them yeah. walking through um and that's what spinal tap did but once you kind of sell the docu feel you can get away with so much you sort of you're cheating the audience and you don't do it within the first bit but then as the series went on you could cheat so much so do you feel like you, you it sounds like you actually played to slightly more of a role than just an editor would you were actually involved in those sort of decisions to get rid of the voiceover and I know Ricky and Steve probably ultimately made the decision but it sounds like you're probably quite active in that process to get it to what we all know and love today Do you know what I would say nowadays I have a lot of say in how shows are put together but back then mm. it was all driven by pretty much Ricky and Steve I mean they would say to me do you find this funny or what do you think of this or whatever so there was a sounding wow. sort of like using me as a as the public before it went out on air but they they were so focused on what they wanted i'd love to take credit for it but um it it was them (laughs) and how did their tightness of control as you say which contrasts probably to other projects you've worked on since then how did that affect your editing process because presumably then they were kind of you were editing it but they were making some of the decisions that you would on on another show you would make those decisions but they were making those decisions for you some 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 of the time but how did that kind of impact on your process as an editor was it is it a nicer experience or better to have more control I love it when I take ownership of a show. Um, you know, the show that I've, I've just finished cutting a show called Motherland. Do you know? Yeah, Motherland? I've seen Motherland. It's great. Yeah, it's a really good show. Yeah, so I've just done series three of that. And um, because we're in lockdown or whatever, I was getting the rushes. And then I was just as a sort of aside for me editing, it's all about the organisation. Mm. So I can get a pile of rushes for a day and then I get slightly overwhelmed looking at it, thinking, how the hell is this going to work? And then I can spend a whole morning just subbing it down and getting all my jigsaw pieces together, labelling it all, getting the inwards and outwards and all that stuff. And it's to me, it's like it's having all those jigsaw pieces laid out in front of me. And then I can kind of relax and go, ah, right, OK, I'm yeah. off. And so I was doing that with uh, Motherland. And then I was putting music on it, whatever. And then before it went out to the director, I try and get titles on it. I try and get music. So when the first cut, it can be like five minutes over time, but it's a a viewing experience that isn't going to freak out all the execs. They're not going to go, oh my God, it's so slow. I mean, there's going to be things that aren't working, but, you Mm. know, I edit it as scripted, but with a lot of my sort of take on it. So camera angles and titans and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like completely sort of, you know, you do live with it for so long that you take ownership of it. But I never felt I had that with The Office because it was 
they were so in control of it, you know, whatever. And, and because I was sort of learning on the job as well. So, you know, a little upstart saying, no, I'm doing it my way would yeah, not have yeah. gone down well. Yeah, it must have been so nice, though, because it was so unconventional, wasn't it? Like the making of that show that like, there is this that school of thought that says, you know, it wouldn't be made today because Ricky and Steve were such auteurs over it. It was quite a daring piece to do. And obviously this being like maybe your first like big job, that what an amazing thing to be part of. Are you still in touch with like Ricky and Steve? I did all of The Office including the Christmas specials. And then I did extras. And then they asked me to do Life's Too Short, the pilot, and I couldn't do that. Oh, wow. And that is when our, we sort of went our separate ways. And it, it often happens, oh. you know, that I don't kick myself at all about people that I've worked with 10 years ago, I'm pretty, or even work with now, and 10 years later, I might not be working with those people because editing is so, you, all your schedules have got to sort of line up. You can go from one job, love the director, say, oh, I'm only going to work with you. And then you'll pick another job while he's doing something else. And then you fall out of sync. Yeah. So that, that did happen with the, um, Ricky and Steve bizarrely so I went on to a show called Episodes which again I pretty much got that because of my track record with the office and extras wow. and whatever so i got a huge am- amount to be thankful for but i um i spent six years out in america on and off oh wow doing episode and i was editing david crane was one of the writers of um, yeah. he wrote friends and i was editing so... in his back garden in his little well i say shed it was like it's yeah. amazing summer house in um, santa barbara and i did six years of that and they flew my family over and it was wow that's a tough life I know, I was, yeah, I am showing off a bit, but it's like one of those sort of kick me moments did that really happen no it's not going off so I I did that um, episode and then what this was leading to was that um, one of the girls in episodes Merceo she's a a blonde actress she's brilliant we were at a rap party in LA and then I walked in this bar and Steve Merchant is standing (laughs) at the the bar can't miss him um, can you (laughs) yes so we had a conversation it was great to see him had a big hug and all that stuff and then he said oh why don't you come over to the house the next day basically it turned out that he was he's going out with Mercea and um and I spent the day at their um Hollywood Hills house which was one of those again (laughs) oh my god (laughs) what was his house like (laughs) Oh, it's amazing, yeah. I think it used to belong to Ellen DeGeneres. God, that's uh, mental. Nice house and a really lovely day. So, that's... so do you, do you ever see him socially, or like, do you ever do you, like? I haven't seen him over here, although I get emails from him every now and again. He, um, there was a director up for a job uh, recently, and he contacted me, and just, I'd worked with her, and he just said, um, you know, what's your take on this person? Yeah, I'm hoping our paths are going to cross again, but you know, like. With all these people, you don't want to hassle them too much because you know how busy they are. Yeah, I've got a track record and I feel like I could reach out to him. Actually, I did reach out to him for um, uh, some information about stuff. So, yeah, he's um, he's he's a really good guy, Steve. Yeah, if you could hassle them both a bit to come on our show, it would be very... Uh, okay, very, that's um, it. Yeah. <laughs> Just We were having a little chat off there, I don't mind saying, it. and you, we, you, you actually mentioned that you kind of met and spent time with Carl as well, and that for our audience, that would be quite interesting. So what, what sort of time did you spend with, with Carl back in those days? Well, yeah, I, I got to know Carl just through Steve and Ricky because they were doing the XFM show at the time of doing The Office as well. And Carl used to sort of come in at the end of a day or during the day and just sit at the back of the edit suite to speak to Ricky and Steve about stuff. I think we went to the pub a couple of times. I'm sure we did at the Britlow's Arms in Soho. And, and then Carl started doing a bit of editing. Not sure what it was for, actually, but it was it was sort of maybe stuff for Ricky's website or whatever started doing a bit of editing and then would phone me up and just for a bit of advice because he was editing on Final Cut and so that happened a few times but um yeah I haven't I haven't seen Cole for years no no it's really interesting did you listen did you ever listen to the XFM show yeah I did yeah yeah I I loved it actually I thought it was really funny I, I was saying I used to cut wedding videos before I started um sort of doing proper comedy and Steve knew that I did this and he used to bring me in cassette tapes of like the best wedding video tracks ever because they're such <laughs> they're such musos aren't they so still got that tape somewhere oh fascinating um just returning to like editing what was it like like the actual process of like working with them like what were their dynamics like together because lo- those of our listeners like speculate on like like who provided like the humor who provided the heart 
you know. So um, Steve was an absolute workaholic. So he would come in at eight o'clock in the morning and we'd still be there. I mean, I remember some Sundays we were still there at like midnight, you know, poor runners outside wanting to go home. (laughs) But it was all about trying to get it right and trying to fit it in. And and Steve was such an attention to detail. So it was all about what we called in the trade frame fucking. (laughs) Literally, (laughs) like he'd say one frame back, two frames forward. You know, it was all And we'd spend like half a day looking for one reaction from Tim. I remember this specifically because it was like, God, you know, I've got patience, but it was literally like five hours of just crawling mm. through for a Tim looking up to the camera sort of thing, wow. and swapping it out and putting it back and <sighs> juggling frames and all that stuff. But that stood me in really good stead, that attention to detail. Now, when I do a job and the director goes, yeah, that's brilliant. I go, hang on, but don't we need days yeah. to finesse it? <laughs> so, so Steve was absolutely attention to detail and Ricky would come in at sort of 11 o'clock and then get bored by about 10 past 11. Yeah, we know what happens then, there. <laughs> and then start looking around for uh, things to stick on my head. Well, yeah, you, as you brought that up, let's, so let's come to you. You were pegged to a chair, like your whole body by Ricky Gervais. What was that like? And in general, what was it like working with Ricky in that sense, that part of Ricky, like the, the crazy kind of this? I assume you haven't been uh, struck <laughs> yeah. in a chair since, but... Um, no, yeah. no, I haven't, no. I mean, the, the truth <laughs> is that at the time, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was... Because the DVD sold four million copies or something. So I was getting on a train or I went to my kids to the cinema and the... um, the, the guy taking the tickets at the cinema asked for my autograph. Did he really? And it was like crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so this would happen every now and again that I'd get recognised. And I, I sort of thought, wow, this is brilliant. My, you know, my name's on the map with editing and all that stuff. But I look back on it now and I kind of cringe. And my kids are like, Dad, how, how could you let that? Yeah, I think there's a bit of PTSD. Because this always surprises people. But I actually, I haven't watched The Office since it went out. Oh, really? Uh, I uh, guess maybe that maybe is that, that is the trauma the trauma is that the same with things like outnumbered and do you not watch back your work or do you just I tend I, t- I tend not to I watch them when they go out because once I've handed in my finished offline it then has various stages of dubbing and music added and graded and all that stuff so it's really good to see it the final sort of polished thing but I don't really go back and watch the only thing that I go back and and, and have seen and shown my kids is a show called Mongrels. Have you heard of Mongrels? Yeah, I've heard of it, yeah. I haven't seen it. So I'd really advise you guys and your listeners to check out some clips on it. It's a it's an adult puppet show. It was oh, on wow. BBC Three when it first started, and the pitch was like Family Guy with puppets so it's very irreverent lots Mm. of swearing and because it's puppets you could get away with so much but um there's some and there there was always a music song on there and whatever and i showed it to my kids and they're at the age now sort of 18 plus and they just love it and it's like why did it we did two series of it and it never went any further and it's one of those that i just thought oh that's one that really slipped through the net because it it just looks beautiful and it's if you youtube mongrel song yeah. Some of those songs are just so well done. I think there's actually, am I, you said I'm allowed to swear, there's a song called <laughs> I'm a Cunt. <laughs> you can beep that, but um, yeah, that's that's the sort of thing that we were um, up against. But it was brilliant. I just love love that show so much. That is a brilliant idea. It kind of reminds me of, oh, what's that Avenue Q? Have you seen Avenue yeah, Q? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really reminds me of that. I mean, I they had a really brilliant. good cast as well. But yeah, check, check it out anyway. On, on that kind of note about sort of comedy, like both modern comedies and obviously you're like part of the staple of, you know, British comedies and things like Alan Partridge, like these things are so so revered and and everyone loves them right what do you think of like the current sort of state of like comedy on both like the bbc but like on sort of television generally whether it's like streamer platforms i'm quite i'm just interested about the bbc because i know it's such a big thing there you know with bbc4 being cut and you have have the successor detectorists and joe joe brown's comedy but also you know the fact that now bbc3 is being brought back as a channel like it's changed so much hasn't it yeah i mean it is a bit of a worry the situation of comedy at the moment just because i think comedies are quite hard to sell certainly Mm. worldwide so all these big dramas that are doing so well um you know like uh the bodyguard that was done um, for the guy that did line of duty um 
and that kind of thing. They've got such mass appeal. But comedies, things like this country, I mean, I'm sure people in America are not going to be trying to hunt that stuff out. So, um, yeah, it's it's a slightly tricky situation, I think, at the moment, comedy, although the phone hasn't stopped ringing. So stuff is being made. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure it's... Um, quite as prolific as it as it was a few years ago but i think it's good news that bbc3 is um coming back yeah. online and i think you know rupaul's drag race and things like that have yeah. had a huge uh, impact on stuff like that but yeah was it um, i think w1 w1 oh yeah yeah BBC yeah, 4, yeah didn't it so shows like that i guess they'll just move to bbc3 yeah i mean i've done some great stuff for bbc3 i've um you know st- and stuff that like mongrels started off on bbc3 and that that was a huge sort of punt for them um and a show called bluestone 42 which was kind of yeah yeah, it was like a set in the army but it was filmed in south africa and then they flew the rushes over here and and that was um really it was meant to be afghanistan but they filmed it in Mm. south africa but um yeah i just hope that the risks that they take are gonna sort of keep coming because um yeah it's a it's a bit precarious i'd say yeah, do you, do you find on that then, Nigel, that you are ever under pressure with your editing to edit, even if it's a British-made thing, to s- someone sort of saying to you explicitly or implicitly, like, you need to edit this for an American audience. So you, when you're thinking of your editing, like, does everything have to be international these days? Is that is that how you... To be honest, I've, ne- I've never come across it. I think, you know, it's either written as an international show, like episodes was yeah um i've, I've never no is no. the truth i think once they're written as script they're sort of the execs know what they're going to get so yeah i think i think you just have to sort of follow the pitch and know what your target is and then don't deviate from that really i think it's so hard but now for something to have like its cultural moment so many new shows get commissioned you know seemingly on a daily basis i never personally and i know shows do get successful but comedy's really hard to hit the mainstream i think like like you said like the office's cultural impact was huge you know i just don't see that happening today i think maybe gavin and stacy was the last yeah probably yeah definitely I think, yeah, but you're right. I mean, because the audience is so split now, isn't it? Absolutely, my, yeah. My kids yeah. never watch BBC. It's always Netflix, Netflix or Prime or whatever. So It must be much harder to... There's more opportunities for shows to get made, I guess, and um, for things to get seen. But to build up a whole cultural kind of moment for it is much harder because it's there's so much... There's such a diverse array of platforms nowadays and mediums that come yeah. digest yeah, that's definitely true yeah i mean also you never quite know what's going to be a hit or not so you know you can read scripts and you know there's a lot of stuff being made out there that isn't that great as well so the amount of scripts that you can <laughs> get and go well that didn't make me laugh at all i'm obviously not going to name any <laughs> but but it's so true i mean it's very rare that you sort of you're belly laughing on the on the tube which ha- must, with the office that must be so hard as an editor as well because you're watching the same jokes again and again and again how do you keep yourself motivated to doing that comedy editing is such an art like what are your what makes great comedy in editing well for me it's i've already mentioned it the first thing is to get those assemblies really tight so that Mm -hmm. no one's freaking out you barely got time to breathe it's that's how depending on the project but that's how i try and cut so there's no sort of dead dead air in it or whatever and then it's just going through yeah honing and you know I always say when people say what's the secret to editing it's just experience and I think when you lay Mm. two shots together you just know if it's not worth there's something in your in your gut that just tells you that it's not right even if it's sort of slightly right and then you go back and you know the house of cards can tumble down Mm. just by changing one shot but it's just kind of instinct and I'd say as you get older and more experienced, you just spend less time trying stuff that you know isn't going to work, mm. if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Because you've already mm. tried it years ago where, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You put two shots together and, oh, I'm sure that I can make that work. But you now I know, now I've got the confidence to go, you know. So I am quicker. There, There is definitely an experience that, um, yeah. that helps you as you get older. Do you, do you ever... Do you ever 
get the urge to, or have you ever, as an editor, probably one of the most successful comedy editors in this country, do you ever kind of, and so you're always consuming this this uh, content, do you ever write anything yourself or, or get the urge to do any writing? Because you can... Uh, I'll, I'll leave that, that to the... <laughs> No, I've um, I leave that to the people that know what they're doing. Best I'll do is like if um, they're struggling for a line and you know in ADR in the edit suite, and I'll just suggest things there. But um, no, I think I know what I'm good at, and I'm just going to stick with that. <laughs> Thanks about the best editor in the country. You're well, you're, uh, you're not I, right, but <laughs> no, I mean I I and I'm not bullshitting there. Like to be like because you're on sometimes. <laughs> obviously, I don't know every other comedy editor in the country, but just from your bio. The, the things you've worked on and you worked on pretty much all the episodes of all these things that, um, you know, the things we've listed and the office itself. And that's how you started. Clearly one of the most successful, let's say, at least. That's very kind. Um, there, there are some great editors out there and I'm good mates with a lot of them. Um, but, you know, what a really good mate, Mark Everson. Basically he was a, he's a really good comedy editor. And then he went on to do the Paddington movie Okay. Oh, bloody hell, really? And then Paddington 2, and he's just doing Jamie the musical. And I think he's just got another job as well, which I better not say, but it's a huge uh, kind of Disney thing. So, yeah, he's, he's making it big time. He's uh, he's brilliant. But less so, less comedy. The Mighty Boosh, that was it. Mighty Boosh, oh, Mighty yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you, yeah, that's, I love that. So, so we, we do, it's weird editors, because you don't tend to ever sit in a room together, because you're obviously on separate mm, projects. So remote, do, yeah. But when we're allowed, I do try and get a few of us in a, in a pub together, and we slag off everyone we know. God, I'd love to be, I'd love to be at that pub. You've also worked on Gervais's stand-up shows, uh, editing those together. I, I'm fascinated to know, like, what's the difference between cutting, like, live uh, comedy as opposed to, like, scripted comedy, something where you are following more of a, you know, pattern, or maybe not necessarily, I mean. Well, yeah, um, I mean, stand-up is, uh, it's a lot simpler because it's normally a only ever a like four or five day edit and pretty much what normally happens is it's one stand-up performance is filmed over two nights and then you spend you spend the first uh, kind of day picking your take so Ricky would be dressed in the same clothes he'd be oh. comparing one joke with the next and say well there was a slight slip up there or we'll use that take or the audio wow. was better or the delivery was better yeah. So then, so you you uh, you've got your A to B of the final performance with all the takes, and then you've got to kind of smooth the laughs. So not adding laughs really, because no. we try not to cheat, but it's just getting those <laughs> tales where you're again. It's it's all about crunching with a live performance. There's lots of sort of gaps, and there can be ums and ahs, and a lot of comedians yeah. have kind of nervous ticks. Yeah. You know, or they'll, they'll they'll do things that are quite annoying. And, and so you're constantly snipping out any um, ah, you know, pause. And to do that, you're using <sighs> maybe audience cutaways or, yeah. um, you know, different shots. So, so yeah, I mean, it's linear. It's A to B and it's quick. And then yeah. it's out the door and, and it's pretty much done. But um, with scripted, you can have a scripted show. And then, like, for example, with The Office all those talking heads to camera. Mm. There were so many times where they were just moved around. So the front one was at the end of the show and then they'd be lifted out. And then right at the last minute during lock, Steve would say, oh, why don't we put that one here? And so it, even the, and scenes as well, scenes, not necessarily the office, although we did do it, but you're constantly like swapping things over, just trying to tell the story better. Well, how long, so you, cause you say uh, a stand-up edit is quick according to you and you say four to five days so to you that's quick to me that seems like wow that seems like a long edit but what what's a typical edit on of a, of a sitcom episode how long does that take as a very rough gauge I would say for every day they shoot is a day that I rough assemble so normally what happens is on a Monday they'll start filming and then on the Tuesday, I'll get those Monday's rushes and cut those scenes. And then that's how you know that you're not falling behind. You try and keep up with every day that they film, you're cutting. So that's called an assembly edit or a rough cut, which is my take on it. So I'll use wide shots and close-ups and whatever. And then after that, the director comes in 
and he could well say, no, you completely misunderstood the scene here. Why did you use that shot or whatever? But yeah. um, hopefully more likely than not, you've kind of got the basics of it. Uh, so, so to answer your question, roughly a week's shoot is a week's episode. Mm. And then, so that's a week's edit. And then probably 10 days after that, with the director to fine tune and hone and get oh. notes to execs and the channel because the head of the channel will want to see it and normally they're quite small notes from the channel but um yeah yeah i'd never considered that actually that editing happens is the process starts whilst the shooting is still going on because i just i just assume you get all the shooting then send all the footage to an editor and then he goes through, he starts going through scratch, but it doesn't, that's, that's not... You haven't got time for that, no. But also the joy the joy of doing it whilst they're still on set is that, like, um, for extras, I was at Pinewood in the studios, which is why mm. I was taped up in a studio, because I was in the room upstairs. <laughs> um, and so I could then say to Steve and Ricky, oh, we need a shot of the pencil sharpener or whatever it is, um, uh, Kate Winslet close-up or whatever that you didn't quite get or whatever. So if the, if the set is still there, we can pick, yeah, so we cool. can pick up shots just... Just in case. I mean, more than likely than not, they might have moved on. Or if they're on location, then you can't go back and get certain shots. But um, mm. yeah, it's it's a good way to work though as well. Because as an editor, you're you're stuck in your own little room, and you feel <laughs> very detached. So when yeah. you're on set, you do feel you know you're having you're part of it. I was going to say you're you're literally stuck in your own little room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. With episode uh, extras, I was in an edit suite just up the road from where they were filming in the studio. And then I remember Ricky bringing all these amazing artists into my edit suite to sort of see, show them scenes, um, what they'd done or whatever. And one, one time, uh, Chris <laughs> Martin, have you seen the episode? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah of course. So he was sitting on my sofa in the back. Fucking <laughs> hell. And then he went off for lunch, and then Ricky phoned me and said, um, Chris Martin wondered if you want a, an apple pie and custard. <laughs> then he brought back an apple pie and custard. So how amazing is that? Perks <laughs> of the job. Uh, what a nice guy Chris Martin is. <laughs> Do you have like any standout scenes like from your, your editor work, uh, from either from the office or extras? What scenes are you proud of? The scene that everyone remembers is the uh, the dance, Ricky. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that took a, a long time, I, I remember, trying to get that right. Because, again, it's all about reactions. It's all about when yeah. to, you know. And, again, I'm not taking credit for this because Ricky and Steve were so on it. But it did take an awfully long time to uh, to cut that. But oh, yeah. going back, I mean, again, Steve would land in the edit suite and everything would revolve around Ricky's performance. Ricky's yeah. performance would be the first thing to be cut and then you drop in all the bits around it which I guess you know is sort of understandable but um I heard that that scene was filmed about like 12 times because he just couldn't get through it without like gang around him or watching him just cracking up well I, I would say that happened so I would say that happened in most of the <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. there were so many those talking heads there is literally one frame later and you would have seen ricky oh uh, yeah I, I wish. you've well, seen I, stuff we all wish we'd seen yeah, yeah somewhere on a cutting room floor there's um a lot of outtakes and i think a lot of them were put on the dvd but there's um there were oh they are fantastic those outtakes a lot more that you uh, <laughs> what happens to those old outtakes do they just get deleted or does someone save them forever just in case they ever like there used to be a thing where um, the BBC stored everything. So every um, shot that was uh, filmed was put into a, a library, but I'm not sure they like, were. It's all digital now anyway. But um, yeah, I'd be surprised if they're still in a warehouse somewhere, but who knows? I wanted to ask about your, because uh, I know that you've worked with Stuart Lee as well, and I'm a massive fan of Stuart oh, Lee. Yeah. I, I love him and I've seen him live so many times. I wanted to know what, what he's like to work with. Do you know what? He was brilliant. I, I was quite scared of him coming into the end. That's what I think, yeah. though. I would... Yeah, no, he's, uh, he was great, actually. He was, it, it was so good to work on that show. It's one of the best things I've worked on. The producer was a really fun bloke as well. So, mm. And he knew Stuart from a long time ago. So um, that was the last 
Stuart Lee show, I think, the the um, comedy vehicle that he comedy did. Vehicle. Brilliant. Uh, but, the, but the really interesting thing about uh, working with Stuart is that normally there's a, like you were asking, there's a rhythm to stand up where you, mm. you know, Ricky or whoever would tell a joke and then you wait for the applause and then you come out wide and then you, you go back in for the mid shot and, you know, just to keep everyone engaged. But, you know, you can't just cut to an audience. You've got to wait for the right moment. But with Stuart Lee, his rhythm is so particular to himself mm. that he'll tell a gag and then you hold on his face just for him to look round ready for the reaction <laughs> or the disdain that he's got for the audience <laughs> yeah. you've got to make sure you capture that and then you can come out but um that that was quite a sort of learning curve it was really interesting doing that show yeah just kind of uh, we don't want to keep you too long nigel but um it's been fascinating to chat to you just what what if you were to give a piece of advice to someone who wants to get in the industry and a lot of people who work who listen to our show kind of uh, are in that position they want to get into the industry somehow and um what would your 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 route into it seems quite kind of there was some luck involved some skill but what what one piece of advice would you give people wanting to get into either editing or writing or any part of the creative process i i would say if you want it badly enough don't give up just keep mm. plugging away um don't be afraid to start at the bottom of the run so making tea and coffee, because it's such a good way in. And I always say that you can always tell the people that have been runners because they're so nice in the edit suite when other runners come in. Yeah, yeah. The people that haven't, <laughs> they're like really entitled. So and, tough. God. Yeah, so that's, it's a really good grounding for um, for you to, to start. Um, and you get an overview of everything as a runner as well. You get mm. to speak to directors, producers, whatever um you know the the salaries aren't great but um the experience you get can be amazing so uh definitely do that and then um use any spare time you can to do a bit of editing if editing is your thing because editing really isn't for everyone i mean i think i've got the best job in the world but yeah. you've got to be very organized have loads of patience and get on with people. I think, you know, you said earlier, what's the, um, you know, secret to editing or whatever. And it is, you do need to know your way around a computer and how pictures cut together and whatever. But I'd say 80% of it is being able to get on with someone who you're spending 12 mm. hours in yeah. a little dark room with, yeah. uh, maybe being taped up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you, um, and just to sort of, as a final note to sort of wrap up on, do you, do you keep up to date with like Ricky and Steve's careers? Do you watch like their output, like Fighting with My Family with Steve or an Afterlife with Ricky? And what are your thoughts on their sort of subsequent work? I haven't watched. Uh, I watched Life's Too Short and I haven't watched anything of Ricky since then. My <laughs> wife said um, uh, Afterlife was really good. But um, no, I haven't. I haven't seen anything that Ricky's done, but I, I have caught um a lot of steve stuff so yeah it's really interesting you say that because that does <laughs> maybe that's a little insight into because yeah. I, I never fell out with ricky it was never like um you know we we never had any problems or anything i just we just went our own separate ways yeah but, life happens yeah but i can't bring myself to watch afterlife so like, maybe it's <laughs> just would you, that i didn't get asked back would you, would you <laughs> watch it thinking Oh, I'd have done that bit. I'd have done that bit. I'd have had a longer. I'd have had a wide shot there. I guess you. Yeah, I, I, I can never do that. It drives you nuts. I mean, yeah. I, oh. I drive my wife nuts just watching any sort of TV and saying, "Oh, look at the way they did that." And yeah, I yeah. can never lose myself in a show. I'm always sort of analysing yeah. it or whatever. But um, yeah, but st- I think so it's got a few interesting uh, projects coming up over here. So uh, yeah, that would be good. I better not say what they are in case. Um, they're not green lit yet or whatever but sounds mm-hmm. exciting though good luck yeah. and you've got your the, the latest series of motherland is that is that coming out soon like series three i think so yeah i think it, it's all done so um yeah i reckon that should be coming out in the next few months i guess but that, that's a re- we did a christmas special and i think that went down really well uh, and i'm just working on a show at the moment called frayed which is a sky mm. australian co-production Mm. Uh, with 
Sarah Kendall. Do you know her? She's on. Yeah, yeah, she's on Taskmaster. Taskmaster. Yeah, yeah. So she wrote it and is in it. Um, that's by the same company that did Motherland, uh, Merman, Sharon Horgan's company. Yeah, 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 yeah. I... I'm doing that, and then there's a few things in the pipeline that um in July, June, July, but um, not quite sure quite what. Oh, it's yet. so busy. Bloody hell. Well, yeah. I mean, it's good. Do you know what? Because of lockdown in March, yeah. I thought I'd never work again. But um, okay, that's good luck with all of those um, those projects that you've got going on. Obviously, you get these projects because of the fact that, as I said before, you were incredibly successful with your previous work. So um, nice one, and thanks a lot for talking to us. Oh, thanks. Thank you, I've enjoyed it. It's been brilliant. Yeah, good luck with it all, guys. Well, that was uh, interesting. I mean, I, I uh, great experience. But um, Nigel Baker, what was I thinking? I loved. So uh, I did cut that out obviously if you were basically well, you didn't hear that at the beginning basically i introduced i was really confident wasn't i, I really 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 went for it and i but i called him nigel uh nigel baker, so, baker. Which my, my old the handyman who comes around to I my d- flat so i didn't know that your old handyman edited the office i didn't know that. no he doesn't he, uh, i think it's just a little <laughs> side job he does no i uh i i called him the wrong name which is embarrassing and both miles and him sort of stayed silent they didn't say anything and i plowed through this intro but yeah i uh i got the name wrong that's why i sort of made a little joke of it at the end but yeah overall great experience great guy uh really interesting to hear he's probably uh, i'd say out of everyone we've interviewed this is the most this was the most technical interview and i don't that's a good yeah. thing like it was it was interesting he talked he talked widely about subjects that were interesting but he also we got we got quite a bit of technical kind of detail about his his role and I thought that was interesting well it's interesting to hear from an expert you know comedy and editing they're so they're so linked aren't they yeah one informs the other and vice versa like such a huge part of it that often goes unrecognized actually I don't There's think that... people realize that yeah I know I, no, I actually you, and you something... made me more aware of that actually because I, I was I, I knew you know you just watch something like Father Ted you think that's great you know but you don't really I, I wasn't as kind of I knew that editing was important of course but I didn't really consciously think but I'll tell... until a few years ago and you, you was like no editing is like the key to com-. and I, was, I, I don't agree it's the key to comedy but it's certainly a huge part of it and uh, it's, Nigel it's a visual is, medium, is isn't it? a world leader. Mm, it's, it's, it's a visual medium, isn't it? So it's it's all on screen. What is in the frame, how it's put together after, how you mix it, how do you do the sound? And da, da, da. I, I, I'm really into my films, as, as you know. But I think it's because you take it for granted because good editing is is good when you don't you don't notice it. Good editing that's, that's, is good. <laughs> that's good. It's true. You don't notice it. So you take it for granted, but everything, it's so important. And um, I found that fascinating hearing from Nigel. It was interesting to hear how he kind of, like, and I kind of suspected this, but he's obviously hugely involved in his roles that he takes on. But with The Office, because we kind of knew that anyway, don't we? Like, they they took over every role and every facet of it. But it was interesting to hear how they did that with the editing as well. They did it with every... Even when they employ someone to do something, Steve was seemed to be sat with Nigel for, like, eight hours a day some days, and from what he was saying. And Ricky, you know, when he could be bothered, kind of interested in the editing as well. But whereas on other jobs, Nigel said he was kind of free he had a free reign to kind of do as he wanted and interesting interesting mix given that the office was his first kind of ever role it probably was good that he had a bit of hand holding then but when he didn't really know as as much about it as he does now and as I say now if you read off his credits I I said this to him in the interview and I, I meant it I wasn't like being you know sycophantic and we've done interviews you know I'm not sycophantic I'm not that but he is like a leader in Britain let's say British comedy uh, in editing he's edited so many great shows and uh, fascinating to have him on and really really enjoyed the experience of interviewing him and that's um that's why two don't you marry him now why, don't, why, why don't you marry him then I would I would actually and yeah he said that he yeah. invited us to the pub so we can have a little pint in person he was, he's which, quite interested which in you can printing. do now which you can go to the pub now you can do well we'll be talking a bit more about that on our next podcast um although actually that won't be to friday so yeah it's uh it's all opened up yeah we might as well address that now it's kind of i think if you if you if you were in the pub yesterday at sort of 12 
p.m. midday when they open. That's a problem. You know, I don't think everyone should rush back to the pub. I, so I believe you, you probably will be quite, <laughs> like more I did, than once this week. I did get quite bad FOMO yesterday because I was thinking, oh, I'm a bit bored. It's quite sunny. Might just try you, but you try and get a table for love and money. You can't get one. No, I know. It's impossible. Yeah, but it'll die down. Like yeah. we'll eventually meet in person, like in a few weeks probably, and, and do an in-person podcast like we used to do. But most of them will still be over Skype or Zoom or whatever medium. But yeah, anyway, that was um so that was Nigel Williams. And uh yeah, let us know what you thought about the interview. Let us know your yeah, your thoughts in general over um over Twitter. By emails. How do people get in touch, Gary? How do people get in touch, Gary? I see you always do this. I'm doing this bit. No, well, this is, yeah, so we're doing this in reverse because usually I just leave this to you, but I'm trying to do it myself this week, which could end in disaster. At Spinners Podcast and spinnerspodcast at gmail.com. That's how you get in touch. And you can do Miles's Instagram somehow, find him. I don't know. I don't care about that. (laughs) But, um, or you could, yeah, call my home phone. Cool. Yeah, Miles. Final thoughts. Anything? To final say thoughts. To well, I would say do check out our recent chat with Luke Campbell, which went out earlier today. And also a massive, massive thank you to Cameron Williams. And I didn't get a chance to um, thank him on that interview, but he's basically this new little fella who's been helping us with our editing and sound mixing uh, and making the audio sounds. He's a little Saudi Arabia fella. <laughs> he's not a Saudi Arabia. He's a little French fella, though. He's a little French fella. So, yeah. so uh, merci. I don't think he's merci French. Merci, Camelon. Merci, Bleu. I think he lives in France. I don't think he's French. Uh, oh, welcome here. Oh, welcome here. I love all nationalities here. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> I don't, as if I don't. No, but he's doing some great job, great work with the editing and things. And it, well, we still edit. Miles still edits it, like, but he's doing some great work with the sound. So hopefully, you know, let us know if you notice an, a, a noticeable difference from the Luke Campbell interview onwards in our audio quality, because we're, we're, we're trying to, we're really trying to get this, get this as professional sounding as possible. And uh, uh, next week we'll be doing, we'll be returning back to our sort of main run of the core shows. And a lot of people get very excited about the next two shows. Yeah, I am too, it's, to it's not this one. It's the next one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. the big show. And, but um, if you do want to listen to more shows, if you can't get enough DTS, uh, do join us on do join us on Patreon. Join us on Patreon. And, and we're actually we're going to do a really special recording now, which we are going to compare and review the new Office podcast, the American Office podcast, where they chat uh, to Ricky and Steve. Both ask similar questions, but both approach things very differently yeah that'll be that'll all be on patreon so go, go over to patreon join us if you can how much how much should really people uh spend on patreon gary what would be your well, i wouldn't go above 75 quid and i think that's fair so if you're thinking <laughs> don't go above 75 no, but around no. sort of 60s you know 62 63 a month yeah That'd get a great. lot of side get a lot of aspects no no no, no five or a month five or a month that's great yeah, but anyway so. yeah thanks guys and uh, we'll see you we'll see you on the other side somewhere goodbye